Welcome to the Terry and Jesse show. Jesse's out preaching at another parish. We have, are you believing or not, we have Father Jeff Kirby. He's the author from the new book, From Glory Unto Glory. Father, welcome to our show of back. We're glad to have you back. Yes, Terry, good to see you again. Oh, I'm blessed by the best. Father, I'm so happy because uh, you sent me your book. We're going to be talking about, now this is really a study of the supernatural life. That's layman's terms, right? Uh, They call it ascetical theology, but this is so important, especially during Lent, year-round, but I'm going to recommend everybody get his book for Lent because he's going to be talking about uh, theology that will set us into a deeper love and relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But before we get to all that, we always have the Gospels. We call it Soul Food, and we're going to have a Fulton Sheen section in there. And then we're going to get into Father's book. I also want to recommend uh, our good local bishop, Bishop David O'Connell, will be at the Men's Conference, Catholic Men's Fellowship, uh, the uh, 8th of, excuse me, the 12th of March at St. John Vianney's Parish in Hacienda Heights. To register, just go to the Catholic Men's Fellowship. You can go to catholicmen.org. I would recommend that you go to that because men need good Catholic men's conferences. So, Father, uh, I want to take the gospel of today. It's a short gospel, but I also want to talk about the saint of the day because, wow, it's a powerful saint, a layman. But um, if you don't mind, I'll read the gospel this unusual time. It's not at Mass. I'll read the gospel, but I'm really interested to hear your uh, commentary on this for all of our listeners. So we'll, we'll do that now. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 9, verse 14 and 15. It's a short one, but powerful. The disciples of John approached Jesus and said, Why do we and the Pharisees fast much, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered them, Can the wedding guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I'm all ears. I can't wait to hear your commentary. (laughs) I love it. Well, actually, I always enjoy when when people are asking questions, especially when they think they're going to somehow trick the Lord or they think that somehow uh, they have some edge or perspective that he does not. And I just very much appreciate uh, how he responds. So here, you can imagine the, the disciples of John the Baptist are, are kind of, you know, as we see in other parts of the gospel, kind of calling him, the Lord and, and the apostles, a gluttons or, um, you know, a lazy in terms of the spiritual life. Uh, you know, why, why are we doing all these acts of penance, but, but your, uh, your followers are not? And, of course, the Lord comes right back and, he, and he, he's sharing with them, uh, and you know a disclosure of his divinity, which of course they completely miss and cannot fully understand, because you know the bridegroom is is an ancient uh, uh, prophetic image of God. Mm-hmm. So especially we see that uh, in in various parts of the of, of the prophets, especially Hosea, we see it uh, in Amos and the Northern Prophets, uh, right before the divided kingdom in salvation history. So the idea that the Lord would claim this title. Uh, similarly, how he claims other titles from prophetic literature, such as Son of Man. But he, he claims this title as himself, that he is the bridegroom. And why would they fast and observe these penances? And it's not simply because he's with them, as he indicates, but also he's indicating that the old covenant is going to be fulfilled. Because when we fast in the new covenant, it's a drastically different practice. Same in terms of practicality, 
but vastly different in terms of spiritual uh, perspective, in terms of, of uh, the power that's unleashed by uh, our fasting and ascetical practices. So, so here he's speaking, he's taking a, a question that's almost a challenge, really, mm -hmm. and he's disclosing a lot more in those two verses than what the original listeners understood, and unfortunately, a lot of times that we can miss ourselves. Well said, Father. Thank you very much. Let's bring the smartest guy into the room, Archbishop Fulton Sheen. Full Sheen ahead. This is appropriate for Lent. Remember, we just had Ash Wednesday. And uh, here's what Bishop Sheen has to say, his reflection on sins. Sins, plural. Everyone who is conscious of sin knows that his sin deserves punishment. But if sin or guilt is denied... The need for punishment finds its outlet, and this is a good word, vicariously in a love of violence visited upon others. Well, Father Kirby, I, I think Fulton, she nailed it on that, and we're experiencing that right this day, 70 years later after he wrote that very thing. It seems to me the violence of abortion, killing unborn babies, the violence of wars, the violence of all these things that are happening in the world— uh, can be solved, in my humble opinion, by uh, by avoiding sin. As Our Lady of Fatima said, sin, a war, is a punishment for sin. And so yeah. I wanted to get your take on what Sheen said about the that it finds its outlet vicariously in the love of violence visited upon others. Yeah, so first I, I think as you're saying, Terry, is you know, the denial of the sense of sin. I mean, Pius XII, as we entered the post-World War II era, said, I mean, the greatest sin is the loss of the sense of sin. Amen. So, uh, Venerable Sheen is, is definitely echoing, uh, you know, that reality. But but also, I think in his quote, he's, he's also indicating, you know, the denial or the avoidance of temporal punishment. Mm. Now, temporal punishment are the consequences of our sin. It's actually, it leads us to maturity in the spiritual life. It, it leads us uh, to an a sense of integrity because we can acknowledge sin. Okay, that's one step in the right direction, but then somehow try to avoid or think that we should not suffer the consequences of our sin. And when we say there's no sin and there are no consequences of sin, well, that guilt still sits on our soul. As Venerable Sheen is saying, it, it, it malforms us, it distorts our soul, it twists and turns it, right? So sin cannot create, but it can manipulate. And, and sin manipulates our soul. And then suddenly, all of that desire for liberation, that desire that we want to, to, to have that sense of integrity that, that oftentimes will come with discipline, the scriptures call punishment, then that gets vented somewhere else. And, and there, of course, we see this, uh, this uh, violent spirit, this will to power that Nietzsche spoke about among the godless. And, and I think that we have to be really careful. So as Christians, we, we acknowledge sin when we sin. We accept the temporal punishment. So if a police officer pulls me over because I'm speeding, I don't fight with him. In fact, I thank him for his service. Like I should be following, you know, positive law. I broke the law. Exactly. Pulls me over, he's giving me a ticket. This is temporal punishment, right? <laughs> but, and, and, and as a Christian who seeks maturity in the spiritual life, I welcome that discipline. So wisdom literature in the Old Testament is, is just abundant in the sense of it is those who are willing to sit at the feet of the elder receive not simply instruction, but correction. We are told to seek out correction in order for us to grow in the spiritual life. So I think there, uh, Venerable Sheen is also indicating, you know, not simply the acknowledgement of sin, which is the first huge step that's avoided by many, but then the second part is 
when we say, yeah, I sinned and then realize, well, that means I have to take some accountability. There, there's some temporal punishment that comes with this sin. Well said, Father. You remind me of uh, Father Bill Casey, the former superior of the Fathers of Mercy, when he said the most merciless thing we can do for a soul is to let them wallow in their sins. And in other words, call it for what it is. It seems, in my humble opinion, that we need to get back to a real clear understanding of what sin is and what it isn't. Now, uh, I just want to bring uh, up to your attention the saint of the day. Uh, if we have another couple of minutes before the break, Saint Casimir lived in 1458 to 1484, was the son of King Casimir the, the, uh, the Fifth and Queen Elizabeth, monarchs of Poland and Lithuania. In contrast to other members of the royal court, Saint Casimir was an example of faith, piety, humility, and chastity. He had a great love for the Eucharist, all, all the saints do, and the Blessed Virgin Mary, and the loyalty to the Holy Father. He is the patron of Poland and Lithuania. I'd like to ask for his intercession right now for our friends in, um, in the war that's going on now in the Ukraine, that uh, we can—I uh, I see such beautiful images of people praying their rosary for world peace, and I would encourage all of us to continue to pray and pray the Fatima message uh, with prayers— of the rosary, every one of us. But Father, this particular saint also corrected his father, who was the king, when his father was doing something that wasn't consistent with his office. And I think of that, I, I think of the humility of Pope Francis when he said in 2018 that, hey, you know, if you think I'm doing something that's not, you know, it's okay, send it to the bishops in Italy. You know, go ahead and tell me what you think. And I always say that that out of respect and love for the Holy Father, the best thing I can do is live a holy life, which is staying faithful to the commandments and my state in grace and my state in life, which is a father. And, uh, you know, I uh, do my duties well. That's how I can serve Holy Mother the Church most. Father, we're going to take a quick break in a minute. We're going to get into your book. And again, uh, this book that you wrote, From Glory Unto Glory, I want to first ask you when we come back, I like that title. I know it's it's a scriptural title from St. Paul, but tell us uh, why, and then tell us uh, also uh, how this book came about, the genesis of it. And uh, I re haven't read all of it, but what I have read, I know it's perfect because it really is getting people excited about the person of Christ and also the acceptable life, the, the spiritual life of our union with Christ and his church. And so um, I know that the study of the supernatural life uh, is very, very important for all of us because right now uh, many people in the church are acting like God doesn't even exist. And what do I mean by that? People aren't practicing their faith. We've left, we have thousands of people, millions of people not practicing. How do we bring them back? I think through our own holy life, first of all. We come back, we'll have Father Jeff Kirby talk about his book, From Glory to Glory. This is the Terry and Jesse Show. Jesse will be back on Monday. I always like to say I'm too blessed to be stressed. I'm too anointed to be disappointed. And if hope was money, we'd be billionaires. Stay with us, family. More when we come right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. You know, yesterday I had Father Chad Ripperger with his new book. I'm doing more interviews with people who do 
great services to the church by writing books because I want you, our listener, to have the benefit of reading a holy book that can really enc- you can encounter Jesus Christ. And I say this because of St. Alphonsus Liguria, doctor of the church, said one holy Catholic book, uh, only God knows how much good can come from it. I mean, a radio show, I get that. But if we can convince you to, to read good holy books, look what happened to St. Ignatius of Loyola, folks. It converted him in Manresa when he had that cannonball mess his leg up. He had to read the lives of the saints. This is why I keep really saying, read good books. And, you know, can I make one more suggestion before we get into the book? The time of Lent. Social media right now has got all kinds of your time. It is. Cut back on it. Matter of fact, uh, here's a commitment I'm making to reading more on my spiritual books of the Imitation of Christ, uh, The Life of Christ by Sheen, during my Lent, and not read from my stupid, I'm sorry to say, these smartphones that I have in my hand. There's way too much time spent on that that would not be as efficacious as a good book. Father, uh, Jeff Kirby wrote this book, From Glory Unto Glory. I asked you at the, before the break ended, Father, why did you call this book From Glory Unto Glory? Yes, I took that, of course, as you indicated from uh, one of St. Paul's letters, and I and I borrowed that just to emphasize how um, fluid and dynamic the spiritual life is. So sometimes mm. we can just think, oh, well, you know, my goal in, in the spiritual life is, is just to pray every day or to observe my Lenten, uh, you know, penance or something like that. And, and forget that, no, these are just small acts that are part of an overall effort to allow grace to transform us, that we move in this life and certainly into eternal life from glory into glory. There's this movement, there's this dynamic fluidity, there's this excitement we can say. And and just emphasize that because, you know, I think because we have not been getting the full picture, uh, oftentimes people think the spiritual life is boring or, or it's just something that's imposed on us that we have to do. Okay, it's good for me, but I really don't like doing it, right? Uh, and, and of course, behind all my work right now, Terry, is... Tell me is a response to just, you know, a real denial of the spiritual life, even within the life of the church. Wow. And this growing Western Hinduism that we're finding and Buddhism that we're finding. And people are leaving the Christian faith. They're abandoning faith in Jesus Christ. And they're saying that they're leaving because there's nothing spiritual in the Christian faith. And first of all, it just shows us where we are in terms of popular preaching and teaching and our understanding of Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, like he is he is the divine utterance of the Father. And to think that somehow there's not a spiritual depth or an opportunity for glory within the Christian tradition or in the person of Jesus Christ. So a lot of my work now is just really kind of taking that perspective of disclosing, teaching, developing, making in a digestible way the beautiful truths of our ascetical tradition. You know, Father, in the introduction of your book, I like this quote, this book offers the big picture. I like that. The infinite horizon of the supernatural life. Father, I have to tell you, I confirm what you're saying. My experience has had the same thing where people have no clue on the supernatural life in the church, whether it's going to Mass and understanding that we're present at that eternal sacrifice of Calvary, we're present there, that that's not just, you know, reading the Bible and, and singing some good songs, but they they miss out on the supernatural life. And that's what your book really is filling in. And that's a huge need. 
I want to encourage, I'm going to do this probably four times, Father, so excuse me for doing this. I'm not getting a commission on this book, folks, but you know where I get my commission? In heaven, because I want to have you read his book. Father, how can people get a copy of your book? Yeah, so it's a Glory and to Glory, a primer on ascetical theology, mm-hmm. and it's available from the publisher, Angelico Press. Mm-hmm. It's a really exciting new press that's been doing a lot of really good work yeah. uh, in Catholic publishing. And of course, it's available on Amazon or through any Catholic, a local Catholic bookstore. Father, this term ascetical uh, theology, can you explain that? Because uh, you, you do a good job in the book. But for those who are listening right now. Yes, you know, sometimes Jesse would have, uh, sometimes Terry, what we do is, is we, we, we kind of uh, baby the people of God. Mm-hmm. And, and what we do is we end up using synonyms and other words that, that aren't, <laughs> aren't necessarily wrong, but they don't have the same weight or power. So, for example, uh, it's become very popular right now to talk about spiritual theology. Yeah. Right? Spiritual theology, spiritual theology. But if we look at the history of theology, it, such a designation really doesn't exist. Like uh, historically, traditionally, we refer to ascetical theology. And of course, the name was just changed to make it digestible so people could try to understand it. But again, sometimes with our language, you have to be careful because we might lose more than what we realize. And so in this book, I, I wanted to retrieve the traditional uh, language of ascetical theology. But for popular minds to help, ascetical theology is spiritual theology. It's the application of the pursuit of the divine life in Jesus Christ in the soul of the baptized person. Wow. You know, you reminded me, Bishop Barron is out here in Los Angeles. He's one of our auxiliary bishops. He said something similar to what you just said. He said that a church that's not precise with its knowledge, with its terms, is a corrupt church. And what he meant by that, I heard him say it. I asked him. He said, well, we have to be precise. What happens is we get loose with our language and we lose it. And so I think it's wonderful that you're going to you know, straighten that back and say, look, let's really understand uh, and I, I read this as a, a denial of oneself, the acceptance of the spiritual death of our old self so that the new self can be brought forth for the purpose of being made like God in Jesus Christ and to share the divine glory for today. No, not for today, forever. Hey, sign me up. Great. Amen, amen, tell, amen. And, and I'll tell you, just, tell just to emphasize that point, Terry, because yeah. you can imagine like you know, listeners are saying, well, yeah, no, I, I've been working on my prayer life. Right? Yeah. I've been trying to read some of the Bible right. or, or I, you know, I do my penances. And, and here's my, my point, you know, going back to the, the quote you read earlier about the big pictures. Yeah. You know, kind of push a little bit and say, why? Yeah. And say, well, because I'm, I'm supposed to do this. I'm, I'm a Christian. OK, good. Why? Well, because I, 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 I want to know God. Good. OK, why? Well, um, so that uh, he can help me in my life and I can, I can be a better person. So, okay, why? You know, and, and you keep pushing and pushing. And, and ultimately what we reach is the person, a lot of times the, the believer who's doing many good things, doesn't see the big picture that all of this is done so that we can share the supernatural life of God in Jesus Christ, we really desire the transformation of our soul by grace so we can dwell with God forever. And, and I just, I want us to just keep that perspective because again, that dynamism and that glory unto glory, like what God can accomplish and what he can do. I mean, I think of Padre Pio when they asked him, uh, what do you think about all these things that God does? You know, the, the, the stigmata and the bilocation and the <laughs> healing, and, you know, what do you think? And, and, and his response, he said, you know, 
that he said that he was the first witness filled with awe at what God does through him. And I just think that, you know, that sense of yeah. awe that, you know, we stand there, we, we ourselves can be shocked if we participate with grace, we allow the supernatural life to grow, that we will be the first ones who are shocked at what God is doing through us. You know, just again, that powerful sense of awe and the workings of grace. So I want us to just refocus as a church and, and as believers mm. on that supernatural life. Well said. I want to delve right into your first chapter, if we can, Father. I know we only have, uh, you know, a couple segments here, but uh, the first, because you set the stage, it's uh, the book of Genesis. You call it our first inheritance. What's that all about? Yeah, so basically what God wanted to give us, mm-hmm. and oftentimes we can just forget the obvious, that the world in which we live today mm-hmm. is not the world that God wanted for us. So there was a first inheritance, what God's plan was. I mean, St. Paul echoes this when he says the wages, you know, that is the, the cost. So the cost of sin is death. So there are consequences to the world that we have chosen, but this is not the world that God originally wanted for us. Well said. And there's uh, another chapter. I know there's much more in that Genesis. And, and you explain the fall in a very, very clear way, Father, that I think some people would be actually surprised to hear. But why is it important, Father, to know uh, the preternatural gifts that were before the fall? Why is that important? Yes, yeah, so we know that before the fall, uh, God blessed our human nature with, with certain gifts that are beyond our nature. Praetor means beyond. Yeah. But he also blessed, with, with, blessed us with a supernatural gift, so something that is completely above our nature. So he blessed us with sanctifying grace. This is so important, Terry. Yeah, you're not kidding. <laughs> so important for us to know uh, that we had sanctifying grace. What does that mean? It means we had a friendship with God. Uh, the, the, the book of Genesis tells us that God, our Father, wanted to walk with our parents in the breeze of the evening. You know, again, very endearing. We had sanctifying grace. And, 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 and just to point out, sanctifying grace after the fall was not restored to us until the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay. And it can only be given to us through the sacraments. Wow. So just to show you how important this gift is, but we had sanctifying grace and we had these preternatural gifts. And there were three major preternatural gifts. One, infused knowledge. We knew what we needed to know. We didn't have to learn or remember it. I love it. Wouldn't that be great? No, I'm excited. And then secondly, there was a harmony between our passions and reason. Right. Our passions obeyed. Like, our first parents actually had to work to sin. And then thirdly, of course, our bodies shared in the immortality of our souls, wow. which means we were never supposed to get sick and we were never supposed to die. So these preternatural gifts with sanctifying grace, these were amazing gifts given to us. That's what God wanted for us. That's the world that, that he wanted to give us. And, and of course, that was all lost in the fall. Well said. You know what I like about your book, too, Father? You quote not only Scripture, but the catechism of the Catholic Church. Like, for example, uh, paragraph 379, this entire harmony of original justice foreseen for man in God's plan will be lost by sin of our first parents. So everything you're saying, it's not your personal opinion. Matter of fact, Father Kirby, I don't care about your personal opinion. What I care about is what the church has always taught. And, you know, it's almost like amnesia. I I know that's a strong word, but we've forgotten all this. It's like it hasn't been taught for a long time. And I've noticed that even with Dr. Scott Hahn, who 30-some years ago we we recorded his his conversion story. And so much of what he said, I found out the church had been teaching that way before 
You know, it's just that we hadn't been taught that. So I'm wondering if, if is that a fair statement that we've kind of lost the aesthetical life that we've haven't really heard this enough, and that when you when you say it, it's like, wow, where's that coming from? But you're not the first guy to say that. We've been teaching this for centuries. Is that a fair statement? Absolutely. In fact, I oftentimes say that you know, sacred tradition uh, is basically holy thievery. Uh, you know, we, That's true. We, we, we take from the treasury of Mother Church and, yep. and we just keep teaching and so on. So uh, absolutely. I think we have a massive case of am, uh, amnesia. I think that people have forgotten uh, basic truths that, yep. that our forebears relied upon and, and, and allowed to determine their own lives, uh, culture, uh, and, and all these areas that, that, again, we've just kind of lost. And so I hope that this, my book, in a small way, helps to restore or bring back to the forefront some of these aspects of ascetical theology. I'll say a big amen to that. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show. We have a special guest, Father Jeff Kirby. He's the author of the book, Glory Unto Glory. When we come back, we're going to delve more into his book and why it's important for you to get his book. I'm saying that because I have it. I want you to get it. We'll come back after a short break, family. Stay with us here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Welcome back. Guys shouldn't have this much fun. I'm listening to Father Jeff Kirby, the author of the book, From Glory Unto Glory. What do I mean by having fun? I'm having fun because I enjoy talking about how people fall deep in love with Jesus and how to do that. And his book is just that. Father Scott Hahn taught me years ago that if we don't understand the book of Genesis, we miss so much of the rest of the books of the Bible. And chap- yeah, in chapter two, you have it's called Our Rebellion and the Fall from Grace. You quote Genesis 3. Um, can you kind of summarize that chapter? Because I think it's an, I mean, you end with a, an examination of conscience, but I, I, I'm just telling you, is this an important chapter? Can you kind of summarize it for us? Yes, yes. If, if I could just echo something you, you said, Terry, that, you know, Pope St. John Paul II, mm-hmm. you know, emphasized, especially as he would teach about the human person, yeah. that if we did not understand the fall and original sin, we we could not, we we, we cannot understand the human person, like we, we, he called it the uh, interpretive key, the, the hermeneutic yeah. of the human person was the fall and, and our original sin. So I, I just want to emphasize that in terms of, you know, we have to know Genesis if we're going to get the rest yeah. of salvation history right. So, so to your point, though, uh, how to understand this, if you could imagine that, you know, there's a beautiful temple and in this temple, it's, it's ornate, it's spectacular, it's magnificent and so on. And you know, uh, someone walks into that temple and they have a grenade and, and, and they launch the grenade and, and a blast and, and, and the walls of the temple uh, hold the blast. But everything inside is thrown into complete disarray, a complete a chaos. That's what sin did to our human nature mm. and to creation. Because remember, uh, creation relies on us, uh, the material creation, in order to encounter God. So when, when that first sin was committed, we introduced massive chaos into the temple of creation. And I say temple because we are designed for worship. Temples are for worship. 
We are designed by God for God, for yeah. the worship of God. That's how we know who we are. That's how we can become who we are. So you can imagine just so that explosion and, and, and the chaos that, that, that you know, would, would it would entail. And, and that's what happened. And, and, you know, what we were saying earlier, Terry, is people don't get that. No. You know, what we have lost. I mean, when people start hearing about the preternatural gifts and they hear about sanctifying grace before the fall, suddenly they begin to begin to realize, oh my goodness, like that was a lot. Like, I mean, there was a reason why God gave our first parents the promise of a redeemer, you know, Genesis chapter three, verse 15, because honestly, if, if that promise had not been given, if there had not been some source of hope, then desolation would have easily become despair because they realized our first parents realized what they lost. We lost sanctifying grace, the friendship with God to be a member of his family gone. Right. We lost the preternatural gifts, all of them. Right. So our passions wage war against our reason. We know what's wrong, but we still want to do it and are attracted to it. We have to learn and relearn and try to remember not simply the things of the world, but even our knowledge of God. And then, of course, our bodies now share in the corruptibility of the material world, which means we suffer, we get sick, we die. These consequences, God never intended that. And that comes as Paul, St. Paul would later echo in the New Covenant that comes because of sin. Like this is what happens that, that, that grenade went off and all hell was unleashed and not, and and not simply in our human nature, but also by extension in the created world. Why do we have hurricanes? Why are there tsunamis? Why do we have pandemics? Because the created world, the material world is also fallen. And it's much in chaos. Yes. I'm jumping in because I'm getting texts. People are, this is the first time I've heard this. I, I mean, can you imagine father that, this narrative that you're saying, it's not your narrative. It's the nope. church's narrative about what happened with the fall. And I think yes. this is indicative of why this book is so important for people to get. One more time, I'm interrupting you. I know they can go to Amazon, but what about going to the publisher again to get your book? Absolutely. And Angelico Press, they do some great work. And, and I want to encourage people, go to Angelico Press first, exactly. or go to your local Catholic bookstore. Exactly. Uh, only, if, only if need be, then you can head to Amazon. It's available right. there, but Angelico Press is, is my push. And Father, when you, in your chapter, uh, you set the stage for redemption. Your, your chapters just fall right in order. I like the way you think. It's just naturally, because uh, I, I don't have a lot of time. I'm kind of running through chapter three now. Can we shift yeah. to yep. the redemption in Jesus Christ? And you quote John three. And tell us about chapter three, uh, about chapter three in your book. Yes, yes. So if, if I go to that original promise of a redeemer, so yeah. Genesis. Three points us then to uh, the coming of Jesus Christ. Amen. So that first promise is given to us. And what are we told? Uh, we're told four things. A woman's going to come. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Her offspring will then crush the head of the serpent. But the fourth point, we oftentimes want to forget that fourth point is that the serpent will strike at his heel. Yeah. So we know that salvation is going to come through suffering. Right. That he's going to be victorious, but he'll be a wounded victor. And I oftentimes like to ask our, our Protestant friends, uh, whenever they want to bust our chops <laughs> about Mary, I'm like, well, we you know honor Mary because we're biblical. And I say, you know, go to you know the Proto-Evangelium, that's Genesis 3. It's called the first gospel, the yep. first promise of a savior. Where's the woman? Where's the woman? Right? Right. So if Jesus Nazareth is the Messiah, then show where's the woman? Yep. Right. Yep. So of course we know in biblical theology we see the woman, but the Lord came, the Jesus of Nazareth came. Uh, he fulfilled all promises and prophecies. 
uh, he himself, God made man, and he followed the path of suffering and he brought us redemption. He was redeeming us to the Father. He showed us the face of the Father. He opened up paradise. He offered us again the gift of sanctifying grace. And here's the million-dollar question that oftentimes is asked. Yes. I hope it's asked. Is, well, wait a minute. If the Lord removes sin and has offered us redemption, why do we still suffer the consequences of the fall? Great question. Why is there still suffering? Sure. And, and I love when people ask that question. I say, well, because the Lord is going to allow us to continue to accept the discipline, to, to carry the cross, to walk through the path of suffering. Right. So oftentimes we can say, what, what is the purpose of suffering? Well, there are a lot of reasons we can give a lot of explanations, but let's not forget the most pressing. The Lord allows us to suffer in this fallen world for salvation. We carry our cross. We walk with him. But but here's another part. Wow. Those three greater natural gifts, they weren't given back to us. We received sanctifying grace. But instead of the sanct instead of the preternatural gifts, we got something better right? in terms of eternal life. Yes. We didn't receive the preternatural gifts back, but we received the theological virtues of faith, hope, love. Wow. Faith, the knowledge of God. Mm -hmm. Hope, the promise of immortality. Love, the capacity to order our passions according to reason by grace. So we were given gifts. These are, of course, infused in us at baptism. Yes. In order for the spirit of the preternatural gifts to still be given to us. And Father, on page 71 of your book, you talk about quoting catechism for a chapter, our uh, Paragraph 405 on baptism. Baptism, by imparting the life of Christ's grace, erases original sin, turns a man back towards God, but the consequences for nature, weakened and inclined to evil, persist in man and summon him to the spiritual battle. Everything you're saying is backed up with Scripture and the Catechism. Folks, I want you to get this book. Father, um, talking about um, other Scripture verses that you cover regarding salvation— uh, through Christ. Can you talk a little bit more about um, just, I know we got baptism, but it seems throughout the New Testament, it's constantly talking about new life in Christ. Yes, yes. So we can forget that grace is both transformative mm -hmm. and, and, as you just quoted, yeah. uh, regenerative. Yeah, exactly. Right. So th this, by the way, is why the early fathers called confession the second baptism. Yes. Confession does the same. A soul can be <laughs> dead or wounded by sin. We are reborn, regenerated, brought back to life. Uh, if, we're, if a soul is in grave sin, then it's dead, but it is then brought back to life by the graces of confession, by the graces of the Paschal Mystery. The soul that is does not know God is first brought into union with God, given sanctifying grace and holy baptism. So once you begin to understand these basic truths of ascetical theology and, 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 the, and our call to the supernatural life, suddenly everything takes on a whole different perspective. And, and, and Terry, if I could just comment. Absolutely. I'm glad, you're, I'm glad you're highlighting about the quotes from the scriptures and the catechism. And, and, I, and, and honestly, it was painful sometimes. It took a lot of work, a lot of diligence. Yeah. But I want to do that because oftentimes, even some of my brother priests or theologians or those who are involved in Christian formation will dismiss this teaching as my opinion or my theological perspective. I went to great pains to show, no, this is the doctrinal teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, one, one story we talked about uh, before the show. Yes, we did. Was the, the theologian, in, when I was in a, se a seminary in Rome, who's sitting there and, and boldface denies the original inheritance and 
the original state of human nature before the fall, mm -hmm. in essence, is denying original sin. And I remember one of my classmates just saying, but it's in the catechism. <laughs> you know, I mean, this, this is one of the blessings that my generation had post-1994 is the catechism of the Catholic Church in English. Yes. That, you know, but it's in the catechism. And, and the, I remember his wording, such language is no longer helpful to us uh, in our efforts, you know, blah, 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 blah. It's like, such language is not helpful to us. Like, helpful to who and for what purpose, right? It's like, no, this, this is what we are priests for this is what we are saying yes to like this is this is the saving teachings of jesus christ contained in its fullness from the scriptures and then from sacred tradition which is best summarized for us in the catechism of the catholic church so as you're stressing terry i want to just stress and, and to let your listeners have the confidence yeah. this is not the theological opinion nope. of some school of thought or or of this priest from south carolina this is the doctrinal teaching. It's right there in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It's right there in the Scriptures. You can see it in the Old Testament. You can see it in the writings of St. Paul. It's very clear. Thank you. Thank you, and thank you. <laughs> and in that chapter, you also have some beautiful prayers, the Litany of Humility, St. Patrick's Shield, all these great prayers that we all love, and the Acts of Hope, Prayer Before the Crucifix. This book is really not just you know this theology, but this is a great prayer book to have. And when we come back from the break, Father, I want to get into uh, the next chapter, chapter four, about divine grace. Um, wow, that topic we could talk for hours on, but unfortunately, we only got, uh, well, we're getting close. We got uh, one more segment. What? It, where did it go? Unbelievable. Terry Barber with Father Kirby here talking about his great book, From Glory Unto Glory. And I want to encourage you to get his book when we come back. We're going to talk about a very important topic, divine grace. Stay with us, family. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. I'm honored to have Father Jeff Kirby from South Carolina with us talking about his new book, From Glory Unto Glory. It's about the life of grace in someone's life and how to fall in love with Jesus and understand the fall, how to understand getting yourself in tune with our Lord and Savior. Father, chapter four, I know we're not going to get through the whole book. We'll probably have you back again. I will have you back again, that's for sure. But chapter four uh, on divine grace, you start off by quoting John 17 to 24, and then you... Uh, I would like you to explain a summary re review of that chapter four. Yes. And I'll tell you, this is the one area uh -huh. where there has been not simply some amnesia, but an all out assault. It's true. Other forces to eclipse yep. the teachings of divine grace. So things have been overly psychologized. Things yeah. have been turned into sociology or self-help. Yep. Uh, there's been an all out war because if you if you deprive the people of God of grace or the understanding of grace so they can work in their in their lives, then they become easy prey to whatever you want them to believe or do. Right. So I think very much in the spiritual life and in, in ascetical theology, we have to retrieve divine grace. And what is divine grace? It's Tell the us. life and the power of God within us. Amen. Who are we? Who are we? 
to allow the triune God to dwell within us. And yet he desires that sanctifying grace that is a gift given to us. It's regenerative, it's transformative, it's powerful, it's beyond us, it elevates us, it raises us, it heals us, encourages, sustains us, pushes us forward. It is the life of God within us, right? So understandably, there's a mystery aspect of this because we're talking about the life of God, but we can feel that and encounter it. We can see its results. We can tell the tree by its fruit. So we know the reality of, of, of divine grace. And, and, and if I could just quickly just take your time, take some things in terms of, you know, parts of our, our theology that once you begin to understand divine grace, things make sense. So for example, sanctifying grace also called habitual grace because it takes habitation right it dwells with us it lives with us yes. habitation right so it dwells sanctifying grace it's the highest of grace and we talk about the different kinds of grace it's not that there's more god it's just that our soul has a greater capacity to receive the life of god sanctifying grace is the highest there are other forms of grace but the one i want to focus on is called actual grace oh great it's very spontaneous. Yes. It, comes, it goes. It has a, a specific time and place. For example, uh, someone is being harsh to me and I want to respond, but I feel that tug in my heart that says, be quiet, right? <laughs> That's, That's actual, actual grace, right? Well said. So, you know, or, or, or the husband's driving home from work and he sees, oh, there's a sale uh, at the local flower shop and there's this push that says, buy your wife some flowers, right? Mm -hmm. That's actual grace. So the Holy Spirit is sending grace to us all the time. Do this, don't do this, go there, avoid that, and so on, right? Now, actual grace is very important because it enhances sanctifying grace. But get this, Terry, we can have actual grace when we don't have sanctifying grace. That's important because that's how we're led to conversion when we're in grave sin. Exactly. Someone can say, wait a minute, if you don't have sanctifying grace, then how do, how do we get the graces of conversion to go to confession? This also explains and, and, can, and can cripple the spirit of presumption. When people say, well, I've, I'm already in mortal sin. What does it matter? I'll just keep committing more and more mortal sins. Every mortal sin you commit, you lessen the capacity of your soul to receive and to respond to actual grace. You're actually more and more damning yourself to the possibility of being able to respond to grace. So if someone's lost sanctifying grace, actual grace is still working. Get this, Terry. I love it. We receive actual grace because of the prayers of other people. That's where I was going to go. Our Lady of Fatima said souls are going to hell because no one is there to pray and make sacrifices. So you're praying for those actual graces for your son, your daughter, whoever might be someone halfway around the world that affects that you affect because of your prayers. Is that a fair statement, yeah, Father? Absolutely, absolutely. And 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 people have encountered that where they've been far from the Lord, negligent of the ways of God, not even thinking about God. Right. And then suddenly when they hit rock bottom. They say, you know what? I need to get my act together. You know, <laughs> I need to go to confession. I, yeah. I need to. I need to change. Right? That's actual grace. Yes. That's, that's a powerful uh, expression there of, of actual grace, and and that's our hope. So you know, in terms of like you know, there's big debate about reception of Holy Communion. It's like, look, if you receive Holy Communion and you're in a state, you're in a grave sin. Yeah. You are almost killing the possibility of actual grace. Right. So why should I go to mass if I'm in grave sin? Right. If I can't receive Holy Communion. Well, because just by participating in the mass, the graces of the mass, that that's actual grace. That's how what that's what's going to get you to confession. So the idea, well, I'm in grave sin. So I'm just going to I'm going to no, not go to mass or I'm in mass. I'm going to receive Holy Communion anyway. Terry, let me tell you, the person who's in grave sin, who receives Holy Communion, 
which by the way, the cure of ours, St. John Vianney said, is worse than the kiss of Judas. Wow. Sacrilegious communion almost kills, almost kills the capacity of actual grace. So someone's in grave sin, their only hope for conversion is actual grace. If they receive a sacrilegious communion, they are severely diminishing the capacity of their soul to respond to actual grace. Wow. So this is very serious. So why go to, to mass when you're in grave sin? Because you still receive grace. It's the representation of the sacrifice of our Lord. Father, why should you abstain from Holy Communion? Because you don't want to kill actual grace. Father, I got to jump in and just say, I need to get to confession. I know our listeners need to get to confession. I try to get every other week I go because I know I have sin in my life. And I would just encourage, if you're listening right now and going, whoa, 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 Father, you're pricking my conscience. Father, time out. I, I feel kind of uncomfortable what you're saying. Well, you know, Father, you're not here to make everybody comfortable. You're here to help someone have a relationship with Christ and turn their life over to Jesus Christ. And I think that this book will do just that. Father, yeah. we have about three and a half minutes left. I, I'm sorry I only got to chapter four, but we'll come back again. But give us the benefits overall, what an individual will get from reading your book. Yes, I think the greatest thing that someone will receive from this book, uh, Glory unto Glory, a primer on ascetical theology, is the greater, that big picture, the greater awareness mm -hmm. of the workings of God yeah. throughout human history, within salvation history, in our own souls. And in particular with this chapter is you can't just jump to chapter four on divine grace. You have to walk through the first inheritance, the fall, the rebellion, you know, the, our, our redemption in Jesus Christ. Then you can get to divine grace and begin to understand, oh, that's where this fits. That's why grace is really important. That's why St. Paul is always talking about grace <laughs> is we get to see the big picture and to be humbled and inspired again to realize that we are a part of that big picture that the Holy Spirit has come to us. The, the Lord has seeks our salvation. The Spirit is dwelling within us. He wants to bring about the kingdom of God within us, that transformation, that regeneration. And I just hope that it fills people with a greater understanding, a greater hope and excitement for the things of God and a greater desire to become holy. Well, amen to that. And Father, you've got great endorsements from people all over the country already with this book. I just want to remind everybody uh, the title of the book, because I'm getting text. What's the title? We've only said it five times. We'll say it five more <laughs> times, Father. From Glory Unto Glory by Father Jeff Kirby. Go to the publisher. Father, your way to get to that book again? One more time. Yep, Angelico Press. Angelico uh, and there's some Press. other great books by them, Angelico Press, mm -hmm. uh, or through uh, your local Catholic bookstore, and if necessary, through Amazon. And the reason I say the local bookstore, folks, because we had a bookstore for 25 years. It's not easy to keep them going. I know you can go online and get things, but it's if you have a local bookstore near you, drive over there and pick it up. Support them because they need your support. Father, I would like to get a blessing from you. Every time I interview a priest at the end, we would like to impart a blessing to all the listeners. Could you do that for us, please? Absolutely. Let us pray. May the Lord bless you. May he let his face shine upon you. May he grant you his peace. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, we end every radio show. We, this is our second one with you. But uh, if Jesse was here, I'd say, Jess Romero, I got a question to ask you. What state should you be living in? Not Arizona, not North South Carolina, California. No, the state of grace. <laughs> and so that's what we end up with every show. Why? Because we, we quoted Our Lady every show. She said this. She said that souls are going to hell because no one is there to pray and 
and make sacrifices for them. Will you? I know I'm going to sign up. This is the first Friday of the month, folks. Hey, right now in about five minutes, people are going to be flocking into our church here for the Passio from 12 noon to 3. People come to pray the stations and think about what Jesus did on that one good Friday that's coming up again. So I would encourage you, if you haven't been to confession in the last month, that's all, month, go back, go to confession. After you read Father's book, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be going to confession on a regular basis. Father, that's my take from what I've just read of it. And I want to thank you for taking the time to put it all down on paper because the church is in great need of clarity right now, and your book is doing just that. So maybe what we can do, if you're open to coming back on the Terry and Jesse show, we can follow up with other chapters of the book. Would you be willing to do that? Absolutely. Happy to. Great. And up next is the Bible with the Barbers. I can't see because I'm in Studio B. At Studio A, is Mary there, Mr. Engineer? Okay, hang on. We're going to let Mary... Come on and talk about what she's going to be talking about on the next hour with the Bible with the Barbers. Is she there? Okay, she's not there. See, I'm blind. I can't see my other studio. Father, uh, again, uh, we appreciate you writing clarity of books. Is this your first book or are there other books that you have written, Father? Uh, A few other books, all of them on pastoral spiritual matters. And how can they get all of your books? Is it on the same website? Uh, exactly. My website is frkirby.com. Okay. Uh, frkirby.com. Can I also encourage people to go to YouTube? That's how I found you. Oh. Your right. homilies. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Very- Grace, Grace Lily Productions. So okay, one more time. Have- Grace. Grace Lily Productions. Grace Lily Productions. Folks, that is a powerful little t- talks that Father has given. And this is how we take our time. This is what we call time management. It's just good time management to study your faith. That's why on Tuesdays with Bishop Strickland, we take the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and we go through that. This is so important. We're living in times where, I hate to say this, Father, but people dressed like you and higher haven't really understood the understanding of what traditional Catholicism is all about. And when you teach something as, as clear as this, the light bulb turns on. So I thank you for taking a risk and doing that because I'm sure yeah, some people aren't going to be too happy with your clarity and charity. God love you, Father. Herb. Thank you. God bless you. You bet. Up next, Bible with the Barbers. And again, if you want to hear the podcast of any of the shows, go to vmpr.org. Uh, the show that we had with Father Chad Ripperger yesterday, it's available now on his new book. And I'm going to have another guy come on Monday. We're going to be talking about Uh, another book. Why? Because books arrest the brain. In other words, good holy books will help you for all of your life. And you can reread these books over and over again. And that's what I do with books that I like. And I hope you get Father Kirby's book. The title last time, From Glory on to Glory. May God richly bless you and your family. And as we say here at Virgin Most Powerful, full sheen ahead. And I hope your first Friday devotions will be met tonight. Make a visit to Jesus, and that's all I can say is let's fall deeper in love with Jesus and his bride, the church. God love you and your family.